This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big, short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to the latest Everything is Black and White podcast in association with 45. New free-to-play score edition game from the pools. Simply predict five correct match scores and you could win £25,000. And even if you suffer any miss and get four match scores correct, there's still up to two grand to be won. To play 45 this weekend, visit thepools.com. You must be over 18 and in the UK to play. Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast. I'm Andrew Musgrove today, joined by Chris Woff and Mark Douglas. And we we are here with Newcastle winning a third game in a row. The look on your face says it all. We, were we expecting this? I mean, what a turnaround to, what, a month ago when Newcastle were fearing the worst. And now here we are, three games on the bounce, going into the West Ham game on Saturday. And everything's looking a lot more better, a lot more better, a lot more rosy, shall we say. I certainly wasn't expecting it. If you'd asked me uh, at the start of November if Newcastle would, would come out of those three fixtures with three wins, 10 points from the last four games and up to 13th in the table, I would have been shocked if, if that had been the case, really. Newcastle were bottom of, of the Premier League, hadn't won a game. We thought they were going to be cut adrift. And I mean, Brighton were miles ahead of them and suddenly now Brighton are within sight. I've written a piece today, though, saying that if there was one man who thought all along that this was possible... It was Benitez, even when Newcastle were going through all these difficult runs. I remember speaking to him and, and he kept on saying, one win will make the difference. And I, he, this season will change completely. And I even questioned him on this and said, is one win really going to change everything? And, and he, he was adamant that it would. They got that win against Watford. It was slightly lucky to a certain extent. First half, they should have lost. But they've used that momentum, carried it through. And suddenly, they're now looking up the table rather than down. They're still very much in a relegation battle but they've given themselves a really really good chance now of survival and Burnley was kind of a game of two halves started off really well um, and then at the end Newcastle were really backs against the wall Joe Hart was busy playing a strike after Burnley nearly in the final 10 minutes or so I suppose Mark it's the kind of the two sides of the Benitez side we've seen that when it all clicks it's really good to watch it's effective and at the other end you've got great determination and a kind of ability to to hold on yeah it was a good it was a really good game actually a good game to watch which um I think Chris had spent the entire international break warning us that it was going to be another Sorry, absolute Ten minutes before you left uh, on Monday, you said it's not going to be a thriller. I didn't think it would be. I mean, two teams that you felt would probably... I think what, what helped this time was that Newcastle had... Newcastle didn't have to necessarily be as cagey as they were the last time. And Burnley had to go for the win a little bit more. And because Newcastle scored early, I think that's what that's what that helped as well. But they're just getting a bit... I think Newcastle are just getting a little bit... That little bit more luck. Um, you know, that, that that outstretched boot by Ben Mee. They got, the ball goes in against Brighton. They had all those shots and it, it didn't happen. And it's these kind of intangibles sometimes in football 
Uh, and Rafa kind of knows that really, really well. And I think the reason why Rafa's such a good manager for Newcastle United is that he stays calm. And this is a city and we know it. I mean, we're, we we live here. I've lived here for 10 years. You guys are born here. Um, we know that this is a city where the yearning for a good football team means that the highs feel higher and the lows feel lower. Uh, and that is and that is what new that's what kind of makes Newcastle United special as really as a football club because it feels so fantastic when they start winning, but it feels really low when they're not winning. Um, but I, I think we can't underestimate how what a transformation it's been because although a lot of people will now say, oh well, they've had easier games, and you know, no things were really really bad a few weeks ago, and it wasn't just how people were feeling, you know. Through the training ground, we saw like the kind of the, the spat between Lascelles and yeah, uh, you know, and uh, and, and there, were, there were little bits and things that were not happening right. And I think it's you know, I'm I'm not going to say that things were totally falling apart behind the scenes, but it was starting to. There was the biggest challenge, in my opinion, of the Rafa Benitez era, and I put that on Twitter yesterday and got quite a bit of stick for it. People were saying well, he's not achieved anything yet, and I wasn't saying it was an achievement in terms of put it on your CV, but to turn it round from where they were. It hasn't been as bleak as that since they got relegated for me. And he didn't bear any responsibility for relegation, so he didn't really have to manage that. He had to really manage the situation. Um, he had to he had to be really clear-headed. Um, he had to do the things that he was doing well. And I think that he's, he's turned it around, brought the fans with him, brought everybody with him. Um, and you saw on Monday a team full of confidence. Um, Saturday's a really difficult game, but suddenly it feels like, look, they've got... The next, five, the next five games, there's only really Everton there where you'd say, look, if they get anything out of that, it's a massive bonus. Um, but the other four are all winnable games. Newcastle United, uh, you know, w- would feel like, rather than looking at it like, oh, you know, well, they could hurt us. It's like, well, Newcastle could hurt them again. To get to that situation has been an incredible feat. And Rafa himself sometimes says, doesn't he, football is a lie. He says, it doesn't. it's not necessarily the teams that are top of the league that deserve the credit. And I think, this is a situation where Rafa deserves massive credit. I think we were all starting to doubt a little bit where where the win was coming from. Not necessarily doubting Rafa, but maybe doubting whether he could work his magic in this situation. And he's proved us proved us right, thankfully, that because we did back him at the end of the day. I think we all in this office said, "Look, he's the right man for the job," and I think most fans felt that as well. And once again, they've been backed, and it's a really nice position to be in with Rafa because every time. There's questions asked of him, they, they're answered. Definitely. I mean, Chris, was your heart in your mouth uh, towards the end there, especially when Chris Wood rose to miss yet another chance? I mean, he got berated by Burnley fans on Twitter because um, he did miss a handful of chances. And But is that the kind of look you're talking about where on his day, you know, he probably would have put one or two of them in the back of the net? Very much so. Uh, yeah, he had a nightmare, Chris Wood. He had so many opportunities and could and should have scored two or three, really. Uh, to, from a selfish point of view my heart was partly in my mouth because of the fact that it had already been delayed half an hour I had a very tight deadline and if the game had gone on any longer and if I'd have to have rewritten everything then it would have become my life would have been made very difficult yes, it's not all on online is it there is a print version which you can buy in every good news agent exactly but uh, obviously from the point of view of covering Newcastle United and wanting Newcastle United to win as well that was huge on Monday and I th- they were so comfortable for 40 minutes Burnley were bamboozled by Newcastle's the way Newcastle set up with it was it maybe didn't come across on TV as much I don't know what the Monday night analysis was because they usually show what happens but in defence Newcastle were 5-4-1 but going forward it was very much 3-4-3 the wing backs pushed on so high and it was just so effective and Burnley didn't know what to do 
there was then the Sam Volks goal and, and suddenly the complexion changed a little bit. Half time came in a good time for Newcastle. But second half, obviously the Matt Ritchie missed, which I'm sure we're going to talk about a little bit more going on. And, and there was a few other chances. And I thought Newcastle actually managed it quite well. Burnley were always going to get opportunities. The direct, it's very difficult to deal with that. Very few Premier League teams pose that sort of challenge. But Newcastle somehow saw it through. And I have to be honest, that the tactics were a bit of a risk from Benitez. I was, I was speaking to Mark earlier on in the day, just saying, you look at some of the players he put in those positions. Richie was playing left wing back. The last time he played left wing back, he was awful against Chelsea. He, he was so exposed and he was brilliant. Uh, Fabian Cher, as well as he's played recently, the last time he had to play against a big old-fashioned centre-forward, Daryl Murphy gave him a schooling down in uh, Nottingham Forest and he stood up and performed. Benitez took these risks. It was a calculated gamble, but it worked and it, it worked so well. Uh, it, it did. I mean, was Dubravka at fault for the goal, do you think? Because it, it, it's a lofted ball in. It's just inside the Newcastle United box. It's a great header. But should he be getting beaten by a header from that distance? I think it's partly his fault, partly Clark's. Clark, you can argue, he stayed goal side, so he's done his job to that extent. But it's a very good leap from Volks. Dubravka's position to a certain extent, but I just don't think he's expecting that, that he's going to try a header from 19 yards. I think I, I read a stat that it's the furthest header to be scored since 2015 in the Premier League or something like that. Very rarely do you get to score a header from, from that far out. So yes, questionable, but the form that Dubravka has been in this season, I think we can afford him that slight mistake because I don't Which think it was all his fault. Brilliant save, didn't he, about yeah. five minutes later. Um, he's been absolutely massive for Newcastle United in, in the space for about seven to eight months. Similar, isn't it? Like you, we, we have the tendency to kind of like... like um, focus on the mistakes and things and Richie's Richie's miss is obviously such a, going to be such a massive talking point um, would have been a massive talking point if they'd have lost the game but um, he was excellent he was really really excellent and you know I, it's one of these things isn't it it's funny like I think in the age of social media there's always got to be a player who hasn't played well and on uh, on Monday everybody was on now Ozzy Perez is back again I actually thought he did a I actually thought he did a decent job there. Second half, I thought he played very. He made you know, some really good passes. Second it's half, it's always Aosi Perez. That, it frustrates me. It's always Aosi Perez, and I noticed there was no criticism of Yedlin on um, on Monday, but Yedlin's the one who sometimes gets it, and it annoys me with Yedlin because you've just touched there a little bit on the tactics. The reason Rafa keeps picking Yedlin is because he can do that job because he can get up and up and down. Perez, the fact is with Perez, Perez is given a certain job and. This team that, that Rafa has, and this was what we, we, we sort of talked loads about last year, the way that Rafa plays means that certain players have to be disciplined and have to be unselfish enough to play the role that he asks them to do. Um, if you listen to the Peter Crouch podcast, the, um, he, he came up with a, a tale a few weeks ago of how he was asked to play on the left of midfield by Rafa. Uh, and he was, and he said, oh, I, I just couldn't do it. I, I, so I ended up playing the centre and, and he said, Rafa pulled me in and, and, and was like, oh, why did you do that and stuff? And he said, oh, well, I couldn't do it because I knew I wouldn't score and I knew I was playing really badly and stuff. And, and it's like, if you actually think about it, it's about the team. It's not about individuals. And Perez gets hammered because he's unselfish enough to basically rein in some of his more creative instincts to play in the team. And people sometimes I just don't think they get it because, you know, I sit, you guys are at the match. I sit on, you know, for the away games in particular, I sit and, and, and kind of do things in the, on the desk, as we say in, in journalism. So I'm kind of, you know, watching the tweets come in and, and all that kind of stuff. And it was everybody slagging off Perez everybody's giving, well, not everybody, but quite a lot of people giving Perez stick and stuff. And stuff. Yes, he gives the ball away sometimes, but he has a role to play. And I it's guess, like, it just, sorry. The, sorry. I guess the issue is, is that as a number 10, you automatically think as a football fan, goals, assists, 
Perez doesn't give that. But like you say, in the role in Benitez's side as a number 10, his job is probably to run between the channels, take the defenders away from... It's about space. It's, man, yeah. it's about space. And that's... Rafa will tell you that Perez... Perez's role is a very specific to be in specific areas of the pitch when they're attacking and more importantly, to be in specific areas of the pitch when they're defending and that's what he does. So he stops the opposition from being as effective by being in those positions. And I know people say he gives the ball away, he gives the ball away. He does, but that's because Perez is the kind of player that will sometimes take the ball on and, and try and give. And people didn't, and people didn't, weren't praising him when he was winning some of those free kicks in the second, second, um, second half. Look, Perez is not the perfect number 10. Uh, if they sign Almir on, and I know people are getting excited about that, um, it'll be a very, it'll be a different type of number 10. And if Rafa had his way, he would sign a different type of number 10. Uh, he wants the brains of the team, as it were. And he knows that Perez isn't the player who's going to dictate plays. He's gonna, not going to do that. But Perez does does do other things. And I think what happens is sometimes that, that everybody was praising Mo de Army on Monday. I think rightfully so, because he was fantastic. And he's been really good. I mean, the amount of times he just nicked the ball at the last minute. Um, you know, he was really, really good Mo de Army. But I'm going to say that's happened since I wrote my kind of love letter about well, de Army a few months ago. I'll tell you, he works so hard. And... And the thing with Diarmi is that he ends up being the, now, I think, the, the one midfield, midfielder who's the first certain pick. He makes Key look better and he makes Shelby look better when he's on form. Well, we're going to get on to that because that, that is going to be one of the topics yeah. about the centre midfield. But, but just yeah, on the Perez thing, I think, Perez. you know, I, I, I just think stop slagging the lad off for what he doesn't do and start thinking about what he does do when they're winning games. Look, earlier in the season, he wasn't playing that well and he wasn't doing the role properly. But he was playing against better, better players. He was playing against good teams. And Rafa, you know, he's not he's not completely absolved of criticism because he was dropped. And I think he did deserve some of the criticism. He was having a nightmare earlier in the season. But don't slag him off for Monday. He did his job on Monday. Again, as often, he's one of the ones who run the furthest um, during the 90 minutes. Um, Richie was the man who ran the furthest against Burnley on Monday's wing back. And people were very impressed with him. Obviously, he missed that sit there, but I mean, Newcastle won, so we can afford to look at the positive of Richie's play. He was he was very good in that wing back role. He was, and as I said earlier on, I was concerned when I first saw that he was playing in that role. We were, I, I was asking the question before the game, and we were initially told that Benitez had basically made out it was going to be a four-two-three-one. I knew I knew that they'd practiced quite a few systems in advance of the game, but we didn't expect it to be Richie was playing left wing back, and that. Kennedy would be essentially what was a, a right forward at, at certain moments and he, he really did get up and down the wing and that he works extremely hard I thought he put in some telling crosses as well obviously got the assist uh, which was a clever cleverly worked um, short corner I mean the, the miss will be replayed for years and he, he had a good joke about it after the game to be fair and um, he would have been the most relieved person there and most relieved person in the dressing room he said that the joke's already started and that, and that his teammates are already taking the mick thankfully they can afford to do that because the the miss didn't cost Newcastle but it, it was interesting because the where I was sat that the press box at Burnley is it was sort of the opposite end of the pitch almost to where the miss was and all Newcastle fans started cheering uh, and I spoke to a few fans who had been watching the game at home afterwards and they said that they were cheering, thought it was in. Actually, when I initially saw it from our angle, it didn't look in, but I didn't realise how bad a miss it was until I saw the replay. I didn't realise the angle he was in. 
and I thought, oh, it's, it's a bad miss. But then when I saw it, I realised just how bad a miss it was. The, the only the only positive for Richie of that was that then Sky uh, did, uh, and it was brilliant actually. It was the the every the worst misses in Premier in the Premier League era, and uh, actually didn't look that bad compared to some <laughs> of them. Because Carnu, I still don't know how he manages to miss from under the post. So at least Richie was the other side of the post, just about. Um, but it was a horrendous miss. But you know, it's one of these, isn't it? Where earlier in the season that would have cost them, that would have come back to haunt them. On Monday it didn't because because they had it. But they missed a few chances. I mean, Josselu, um I mean, I don't think it was a terrible miss because it was actually great technique to to be in the right position for the ball. But they missed some good chances would again. Have been a wonderful Monday. goal that. Yeah, oh, I, 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 he almost Perez. hit it too well. That one. It was Perez wonderful ball. Perez Josselu. also set up the chance Perez. where. Rondon and uh, Richie managed to run into each other, but the the, the Hosselu one that was I, Richie trying to make up the men's. I think yeah, wasn't it? it was yeah. just it was it, it was good wrestling move, man. You <laughs> chopped him right off. But the the Hosselu, I felt sorry for him because I, it's almost he hit it too well. How it cannoned off. He hit it too well. That is the uh, football Fishing. phrase. Oh, Chris. I suppose no, Richie. It is, but it is. It but I also, well. I also think, I also think that, that that's one of those cliches that actually bears true. We've all, we've all done it before. Where you maybe go for a shot in I football haven't. or something else. You know, you, Wait you until tonight <laughs> when, I've, when, I've, when I do that. I've never hit it too well. I've never ever hit the ball too well. With Richie's effort, I suppose it's a lesson for for the youngsters watching: is that you don't celebrate before the balls in the back of the net. That's what Richie said. He said, "I think I was turning away, arm in the air, and you know, you play play at the whistle sort of thing." Um, but in general, Newcastle looked very good. Um, just on the point of Chris Wood, he did cost Burnley fifty million pounds. Is he a sign of like you know? I suppose it's not a big uh, fee in terms of, of Premier League money these days, but it's still a quite a large fee. It's still a, a large fee of Newcastle were to spend it, you know, in this era. Uh, is it a case that you know money doesn't always buy you? successful striker well I think I think that's harsh on Chris Wood when he first came in there last year he scored quite a few goals early on the season he did, he did very well for them last season as, as they finished was it 7th or 8th wherever they were yes he isn't in form at the moment but, but the Burnley team is in general I thought that, that Newcastle exploited the nerves and doubt that there is a turf more. I was surprised actually first half how quickly Burnley fans started to get on their back because I know they were brilliant last season but the, the job Sean Dyche has done there over the last few years and and this is where it sometimes annoys me that this is the idea that, that Newcastle fans are the ones who, who demand so much more. This is Acast Recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love. Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd, and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club, and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan, and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts. Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. Expectations change very quickly in football supporters and Burnley last season were successful. They were winning these sorts of games. They narrowly beat Newcastle 1-0. They were coming out on the right side of them. Suddenly, the focus has changed there and you can see it. it, it I feel I feel a bit nervous for Burnley. I think they will survive because I think that Sean Dyche w- will turn things around. But it, it just there's a, there's a strange feel about that football club 
completely different to how it was 12 months ago and it just reminds me of Newcastle's season when they win the Europa League having finished fifth the year before where everything started to unravel and questions started to be asked from in all directions but we'll happily take advantage of that on to key Modi army um, the partnership is is growing I think it's only in its what, third game now fourth game against West Ham again brilliant on, on Monday they were fantastic against Bournemouth Shelby's got a he's got an issue to get back into that side he's got he's going to have to do something special in training isn't he to, to unseat one of them too he has and I've done a live Q&A this afternoon on the website and, and someone posed this question and it basically the way I perceived the question to be was almost as if it's a negative that Rafa's been sticking with the likes of Lascelles and Shelby but actually I see this as a massive positive what's happened in the last few weeks suddenly two players in Newcastle have been so reliant on they're going to have to raise their game to make sure that they're back in the team That because there were automatic selections for basically two and a half years and suddenly Newcastle have alternative options Benitez wants that competition for players and I think that it will just benefit everyone that there now are alternatives there and that if Shelby and Lascelles aren't playing well they aren't necessarily going to be picked Key for me was so impressive on Monday just because he's just so composed on the ball there was so many times in the last 10 minutes when Newcastle just gave Key the ball because they knew he'd just be, he'd be cool with it he'd take his time he'd pick the right pass and he just always seems to have more time on the ball than other players and he I like the way that he recycles possession as well. He can be cool and composed when he needs to be, but when he wants to move the ball forward, it's it's a short pass or it's, it's a quick pass to someone that releases someone at the space, and it's just given a bit of a different dimension in midfield. Shelby still has a huge huge role to play for Newcastle United, but now they have that alternative in key as well. They're sort of different centre midfielders, if you will. I've done a piece that's online about Key and Dior. I mean, some stats, you know, Key has covered the, the most ground on average every 90 minutes. He's covered 11.75 um Every 90 minutes, 53.92 kilometres in just 413 minutes. Shelby, with more than double minutes under his belt, is only on 8, 81, 26. He doesn't, he doesn't need to. I mean, I think the thing with Shelby is, isn't it, that he, he, he doesn't necessarily need to be box to box. He doesn't necessarily need to move that much because he get, when he gets the ball, he'll play passes. He'll look to be a bit more forward thinking for Newcastle United. It's been a bit unfair. It's been a bit unfair to compare Shelby and Key because Key's played in the games that. Newcastle have been on a little bit more on the front foot where Shelby's had to... And Shelby did play quite well, I think, against Brighton. But if I remember rightly, am I right? Yeah. I'm right thinking, I think he did. He, and he's tried to do things in those games. Um, but Key's just been outstanding, hasn't he? But do you know, I think it's a, a point that when Shelby's in the side, everyone looks to him to change the game. Whereas now he's been out injured. Um, everyone's kind of stepping to the plate and you see more players come out of the ball more players stepping up and saying right I can create something but to be fair I think that shares made a bit of a difference to that because this is this was the, what Newcastle missed without Lejeune in the first 10 games of the season Shelby benefited so much from having Lejeune there because you have another ball playing uh, defender there you have someone who can come out and help you who can start those attacks and it isn't just Shelby then isn't the only person the opposition look at Keyes has, has had the benefit that shares also been in the team and so Key has flourished alongside that but I think that as soon as it, when Shelby's back in the team and he is either has Cher or Lejeune or whoever it may be, someone behind him who can help start those attacks, who can be someone he can he can do those little triangles with. I think that'll help him. So I do think that that's a, a different part that the Shelby think, hasn't. Do you think it's do you think it's inevitable that Shelby and will end up back on the side? At some stage, you, you get the better. And Rafa will be licking his lips at the fact that now when Newcastle are going into a period where he's going to have to rotate the team, he now can rotate the team with Shelby back on the bench that 
uh, on Monday. Should be back at the weekend. Shelby is it's not being discarded from this squad whatsoever. Don't don't any Newcastle fan who suddenly thinks that Shelby's not going to play anymore. He has a key role to play for Newcastle still, and yeah. he offers something different. A key, key role, role yeah. Uh, not a better pun, but, but yeah. I mean, just looking at the stats from Monday night, um, both Key and Modiomi had eighty nine percent pass success rate, highest um, out of you know any of the players in Newcastle fielded, um, and also covered a heck of a lot of ground. Key was joined top with um, Richie twelve point four kilometers, and it, that's the second week in a row that Key's actually ran the furthest. I mean. The partnership at the moment, surely, if Shelby is fit for Saturday, you can't see Benitez breaking that up, surely? No, he won't. I, I just can't see it. You know, he'll pick, he'll pick in form. And these two are playing so well. Um, I think what the one thing that you would say, if it was Key and Shelby, he might look for a way to bring Diarmi back in because he really likes Diarmi because I think he, Rafa's all about balance and he just loves Diarmi having that balance and then a more creative midfielder in there. But I just don't, I don't think Rafa would break that partnership. I don't think he would punish key for the good performances um and i just yeah, i think like chris said we're coming into christmas this was when rafa started to turn things around last year wasn't it because they 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 did they were stronger in that period than the rivals down there because rafa was prepared to utilize his squad where i think his rivals don't fancy it as the you know newcastle you would say that for all that in the early in the season we bemoaned a lack of star quality and a lack of real quality in there the fact that newcastle have got maybe 18 players who are maybe virtually on the same level might will will be a plus at christmas it was a negative at, earlier in the season because you could see that the t- other teams down there the fulhams of this world palaces of this world you looked at them and you thought well they've got players who can turn games newcastle haven't but newcastle the, the boots on the other foot a little bit when you get into the games where there's a lot of games because newcastle can bring players in and and, and get rid of them and i think rafa's done that by design um, and Key came in, for, came in for, obviously was signed to replace Mikel Marino. I already think he's probably had more of an impact in terms of actually changing games than Mikel Marino did. And we loved Marino. He looked really good for a short period of time. But he never, I don't think, ever made Rafa make a decision about Shelby, did he? I don't think Rafa ever thought, I'll have Marino in over Shelby. Whereas I think at the moment, I mean, I know he, was, he wasn't probably quite fit to play on Monday but I think Saturday he'll, he'll, he'll play kick and I think if you looked to Monday and just the fact that Benitez sprung a tactical surprise there it hasn't really been talked about but could he even play three in the middle at some stage over the next few weeks could we see Key and Shelby played slightly ahead of Diarmi or some sort of a, all could three of them Huddersfield. I yeah. could see him doing that against Huddersfield or even Fulham really I mean Huddersfield you saw them on, on Sunday against Wolves you know, like their midfield strong, um, and you know that I could see that I could see that in playing that way away from home. Um, you know, if the good thing for Rafa is when he goes away from home, he has been quite defensive. You know, but like you said, he sprung a real surprise, which is what he did against West Ham last season at Christmas. He totally sprung a surprise. We all expected him to go to West Ham, sharp shop, try and save things, and he actually they, the team just they bombed on, didn't they? Yeah. About at one point they were having like five or six players attacking West Ham. And that's a little bit what they did at times with without when they had the ball on on Monday. It was, you know, tactically he is really sharp. I don't think Newcastle have had a manager as tactically good as Rafa for a long, long time. Can you see the same thing then happening with Lascelles? If he's fit, is it going to be Shaw and Fernandez? I can't see how he could drop either of those two at the moment. I think that they're playing too well. I feel a bit for Kieran Clark because if he does shift to four at the back, I think it will be Clark even though he played pretty well on Monday. A left back. 
Yeah, that that's the one thing is it dumb it it's had looks highly unlikely that he'll be available. So if he does <laughs> shift to four at the back, he's gonna have to decide who plays at left back. Potentially Clark could shift there. Depends who is gonna be on the west. If it's someone quick on the West Ham wing, I'd worry about Clark. He could play Mankeo, could maybe play Kennedy. He still has the option of, of playing three at the back and I still think that there, there will be some sort of tactical surprise as Mark says West Ham last year they went and he played Atsu in a really advanced role and, and they did really well uh, obviously Henry Savier played because he didn't have many midfielders fit but West Ham is a sort of game I really fancy Newcastle in and I, I did it ahead of Burnley to a certain degree because when a team has a go at Newcastle if West Ham come and, and, and try and play Newcastle but really offensive against Newcastle I can see Newcastle picking them off. If West Ham come and are a bit more disciplined, which is not very much like this West Ham side, would be against what Pellegrini usually does. I'm not saying he won't, but it would be against what he usually does. Then that's when Newcastle may struggle. But if West Ham do bomb forward, I can see Benitez having a plan to pick them off like he did Burnley. We'll have our West Ham preview tomorrow, but just on that West Ham, I've conceded 90 goals over the last two seasons. So, you know, the defence isn't uh, what a type, but we'll talk about that tomorrow. Um, just to wrap up this podcast, you've obviously done a live Q&A this afternoon. A few takeover um, questions which might have piqued a few people's interest. Yeah, um, we're interesting because they're questions which also contain tidbits of information that people believe that they've been told. Now, I hadn't necessarily heard some of that information myself, but I'm not saying that, that it's incorrect. But one of them said that they'd heard Peter Kenyon made uh, deals basically in place for his consortium he's trying to put together to buy the club from Mike Ashley by Christmas. That isn't my understanding of the situation at the moment, but what I will say is that any negotiations that are happening for the sale of the club, very few people will know about them. Mike Ashley keeps his cards close to his chest, so I don't think the club will be sold by Christmas. It would be a brilliant present for all Newcastle fans if it was, but I'd be doubtful about that. The other one related to Almiron and uh, basically the Atlanta United owner. I have heard this his name mentioned before is, is, is potentially one of the investors that people may be looking towards to, to, to be uh, involved in a takeover in Newcastle United and, and but it's I haven't never had that firmed up and this fan suggested that maybe is that where the, the interest in Almiron comes from that it's sort of a part of, of any potential deal that might happen I don't think that's the case Newcastle have watched Almiron for around 18 months he's the sort of player Newcastle want Benitez wants an attacker midfielder and although Newcastle would have to break the transfer record for him he's relatively cheap compared to the same sort of player if you signed him from Europe so that's where my understanding of that that interest comes from yeah I think the takeover thing it's it's just this ongoing kind of saga a little bit that the different names get get put in and we get I get people messaging me quite a lot with sort of you heard anything on this is this going on I still think that if we I still think that what will happen probably is that the first we'll know about it if it's something really serious will probably be just when it happens I I still doubt in really that it's going to happen in the short term. I think that's the message that Ashley's people have put out. I know that what happens when we write stuff about takeovers, because there's a lot of that stuff out there, is that people will turn to us and say, this is Mike Ashley telling you something to try and get the heat off him. Actually, it's it's not at all. The club have consistently played down talk about takeover. Consistently, they did with Amanda Stavely. The club... I'm not telling us that the club's going to be taken over anytime soon. What they say is it's up for sale. A deal could be done, but the club play it down. The club are saying, look, we need to get on with, with going where we are. And and I think that it does 
sometimes become a little bit of a, you know, we know the club's up for sale, but at, at the moment it just doesn't feel like anything's close. We might wake up tomorrow and it'll happen. I think Chris said, and he's absolutely right, that there'll only be a few people who'll know about it. And it, it worries me when something gets leaked, like the Kenyan thing, because it just sort of suggests that it's not that far along. And Staveley, we know now, and I think through the prism of the Staveley interest, and that was clearly doomed from the start now looking back because it was so much. She had a PR person who was basically briefing journalists all the time on what was going on. Alarm bells probably were ringing at the time a little bit, but definitely now looking back, that was that's that's a rabbit away there. If you've got a PR person briefing journalists, and the club don't know anything about what he's briefing you, interesting. You know, we haven't heard learned from that one. Let's put it that way. We haven't heard anything more about Kenyon really since the day that was broken. He doesn't um, want to talk because we've reached out and we've reached out to, and I've reached out to people who are supposedly on the thing. They don't want to talk. He's obviously not, because there's not been many follow-ups about that. So I think that he will have a lot of links in football, Kenyon. I mean, he's not somebody I know of or know, know really well, but he will know a lot of people in football. And there haven't been any stories about that since the time. So whether that means that he is a bit more serious, because you would think, because what happened with Stavely was, suddenly when that interest leaked, everybody was briefing. And she gave an interview in the Times. I mean, you know, great story, don't get me wrong. But like, looking back now, I'm still interested in Newcastle United. Well, she's not done anything about that. I mean, you've got to question what was going on there. Anyway, but Ke- but then you look at then you look at Kenyon and nothing's been said. He's obviously not. If he has briefed, nobody's really written anything on it. So maybe there is something there. But I think he's close to Mike Ashley, which is what yeah. sets some alarm bells ringing for me is because, you know, he will know what Mike Ashley's like to work with. I think there's stuff going on around around the bottom, but they, they're going to have to, like... The problem is there's this big doubt, isn't there, how serious Mike Ashley is about actually selling the club? And I think that's a valid question. And I think... And I know I don't know whether you were going to ask this at all, but one of the things that I am a little bit concerned about, not to put too bad a mood on it, is that Mike Ashley will look at what's happened in the last three games and say, well, do we need... It, are the recruits as urgent as maybe? I suppose it's a, think? it's a bit bigger than that, though, isn't it? Because the bigger picture is that if he doesn't back Rafa in January, then Rafa walks up. He's not thinking about it like that at all. We think about it like that, and we we implore him to think about it like that. But he just doesn't think about that like that at all. This is a man who is currently engaged in a dispute with Into about rent for his shops, where he's basically saying, "I will shut those shops if you don't give me what I want." That's the mentality of the man. He doesn't blink. He's not a. He's not going to be. He's not going to be deterred by. You know what is the, the noise around it? Oh, I've got to spend, otherwise Rafa will go. He's that hard nosed. I think that he would just say, "Well, you know, if Rafa can do it, then anybody. You know, there'll be other people who can do it." And that's my worry. And and I, I hope what I hope and what the, what the club insists to us that him coming back to the scene is a good thing. And I would hope that he's watched a lot of the games where they were rubbish and they didn't have enough. And I would hope that he's seen enough there. But I don't think he knows anything about football. So I don't think he would... I think what, I think the, the, what it will depend on, whether he gives Rafa the money to spend and whether he gets Rafa into the new contract, the sole thing will be, are those players coming in? Do they have resale value? Are they of the right age? And if they are, he will say, yep, yeah, come and try and sign them. And if they're not, he will say, 
you have to you have to spend less on those experienced players because when Rafa gets experienced players, they're all around the seven eight million pound mark. Rafa wants to spend 10, 15, 20 million on an experienced player, and Newcastle have just said no to that, and that will be it. It won't be, you know. Look, I, I'd love to think that he will come in and say you can have what you want, but we've got to be realistic about this. It hasn't happened now for three transfer windows. That is that's that's the top and bottom of it. That's the issue. I have to be honest, fr- Friday's press conference was interesting because Rafa was pushed quite a bit about January and he didn't want to talk really much about his future, but he did talk a little bit around about the way that, that he's looking at January and I just found it interesting that he seems to be almost accepting of the fact that even though he doesn't know his budget, he's almost accepting of the fact there isn't going to be that much money and he doesn't seem as downbeaten as he was before because... At the moment, the way he's looking at it, I could potentially go and get a few loan deals from abroad. That's what I'm going to have to try and do. And then maybe we can make whatever money that is available to try and sign that quality player going forward. So I think there's there's almost a, a misconception that Rafa's wanting 40, 50 million in January. I don't think it's necessarily the case of that. What he wants is to be able to sign players who are going to improve his team. He doesn't feel he's been able to do that enough recently. So if there are, is at least the back end to be able for him to, to think that, that by the end of January, the squad is better than it was by the start of January and may be that because of players coming on loan from abroad with a view to buy or because he's been able to, to sign one expensive player plus bring in a couple of others. I think he'd be quite happy with that. I don't think he, he thinks he's going to suddenly change the entire squad or half the squad in January. It's about making those tweaks whereby he can see that, that the the team and the club is moving forward. What was really interesting, and I don't think it got, because of the win, because the fact that Ginola was on Monday Night Football as well, which he was excellent, didn't really get picked up too much. But he said something that was quite interesting, I thought, in the uh, post-match interview with Jamie Carragher, where he said, "I'm the players I'm looking to sign, I'm not going to take them home with me. They will still mm. be at Newcastle United. That was a very interesting quote, in my opinion, given what we know about the issues that have Newcastle have had, which one of them is that, well, we won't give you money if, unless we won't give you as much money. It's going to be harder to sign players. I think is, is the key um, without you signing a new contract. That was the first time I've heard him say something along those lines. And it was basically him kind of having that, getting it out there to the national audience. It was almost like, cause he was talking to Jamie Carragher. He was that little bit more, um, he was that little bit more, uh, but that was, a, that was a really important, thing for him to say because that sets the scene for January I wouldn't be surprised if he repeats that a few times before January the issues that Newcastle United and Rafa Benitez have had with transfer policy are um, you know I, I don't think they've been resolved I don't think they've, I don't think there's something where they've all sat down and they've said let's get right let's get this right this is do you agree with us on this and do you not agree with this and I think what both sides are kind of going into it thinking well we'll get them to move a little bit towards my policy and I don't think that's necessarily going to be enough to get to, to convince Rafa to sign a contract what the signing of a contract thing will come down to in the end will be if Rafa looks at it and thinks there's nothing else for me really around I you know I think I can maybe still do something with, with what I've got at Newcastle um, and it might be that he just ends up signing like another year and we just have all of the talk about it again. again he might just or he might sign a different he might sign a different contract where there's not the golden handcuffs that there was on the previous that he might just say I'll sign it but I'm free to talk to anybody if they come in for me and he'll think you know what if I keep doing things as well there'll be people coming in for me and then I can use that as a sort of thing but um, the longer and longer it goes on and the longer and longer it goes on 
the less and less I think that it's necessarily true that he's going to walk out. And I know that people around Rafa have been telling people that he's definitely going to go. But the man himself isn't thinking that way from what I understand. Because there's a lot of people around this situation, both at Newcastle and and on Rafa's part, who are doing a lot of talking for other people. And really, it will come down to Rafa's decision. He's strong enough and brave enough to make a decision himself. They were the same people who were saying when they got relegated, there's no way that Rafa will stay and be a manager in the championship. But then he did because he's a man of kind of honour and integrity. And look, if they finish, you know, he enjoys Monday. He doesn't enjoy what was happening a while ago, but he enjoys Monday. And I know Carragher said on Monday that he wants to be in there managing the Champions League again. But the only way he's going to get into a Champions League job is if he goes abroad and he doesn't want to do that for family reasons. So there's there's a load more issues than just will he get backed in January? I think if he gets backed in January, I think he'll sign. But he's not going to get backed in January the way that people hope that he's going to get backed. It's just not going to happen. He's not going to get £100 million. He's not going to get what McLaren got two years ago, especially not if they're doing well. Yeah. Well, that saga will rumble on. Just to finish off, Chris, any reason Mike Ashley wasn't there on Monday night? Uh, I was told that there wasn't necessarily any strange reason other than it's the first time a game's really been midweek. It was a Monday night. Probably didn't fancy haven't seen what happened last year in that game but it being a Monday night in Burnley so negativity think, spreading that yeah well exactly uh, if, if he's not there on Saturday then I think that'll be a different matter and I think then more questions will start to be asked but but when I posed the question to a couple of people it was oh it's, it's, it's a Monday night it's basically a business week he's, his focus is elsewhere and I know a lot of fans will then go oh because he doesn't really care about Newcastle United well we know that Newcastle United probably isn't top of his priority list anyway he, he probably had what he thinks were better things to do than go to Turf Moor. We haven't even talked about Saturday's also the first day that there's going to be visible, supposedly visible in-game protests from the Magpie group. There are a lot of issues around that as well, which will be, which I think will be another thing to watch on Saturday. Is it going to make, is it visibly going to make an impact? If it doesn't, that's that's an issue, isn't it? That That's going to be something to talk about. If it does, again, it's another issue, isn't it? It's going to be, Really interesting. I think the winds have probably um, turned the tide for a little Ashley. bit. A little bit. Well, not turned the tide for Ashley. I think what everybody wants and what I want now, because I don't think Ashley's going to sell up anytime soon. What I'd like to see in the short term was Mike. Would Mike Ashley not be the only thing that people want to talk about at Newcastle United? And it was in the Championship season until January, if you remember rightly. If he just lets Rafa get on with it and gives him an, an, enough backing, the club will run itself. Rafa will always push for more, but just give him some of what he wants. I mean, the club hasn't manifestly changed since Rafa came in, has it? They haven't done any infrastructure changes. There's not been a load of money. They've not broken the deadline. Basically, all the benefits that he's had come from his good management. So just give him a little bit of backing. Just give him enough to kind of convince him that you're serious. Let him get on with running the club, and it'll be the easiest thing you ever do. Fingers crossed. We will cover the yeah, West Ham game and the potential, well, the protests and um, how we think that will go down on Thursday, which is tomorrow. We'll do a quick little preview. But in the meantime, head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for all the latest Newcastle United news. Thank you. How are you doing there? It is David from the David McWilliams podcast. And this is a Staycast from Acast. 
We're all following the government's advice right now. We're staying in. It's a little bit cocooning, but it's all working. So while you're staying at home, here's a recommendation of another great podcast. It's the Blind Boy podcast. He's an old mate. He's a great skin. He has extraordinarily interesting views of the world. Check it out.